Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast and today's guest is James Hawes. He's talking to us about breaking bad news to teenagers. This was originally broadcast as a live Facebook event and can still be found on the Parent Guide to GCSE Facebook page. Uh, right, well, <laughs> our first guest then, uh, who's probably going to introduce himself because he'd do a far better job, is James. Hello, James. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. So do you want to just give us a quick a kind of who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm James Hawes. I'm based in um, Nottingham. Um, I'm a counsellor, psychotherapist and counsellor. I have I have a private practice, um, a very busy private practice. I also work in school for two days a week as a school counsellor and have been working in schools as a counsellor or a youth worker for the past 25 years. Um, um, I'm also I'm also a trainer, so I train therapists um, really in terms of working with um, young people or challenging boys often, and also um, I kind of specialize in working with men. Recently authored a book as well um, on men called The Secret Lives of Men. Awesome, so nice. wealth of experience there, <laughs> fabulous. So I guess we're, we're mostly just going to pick your brains. So at the moment, given the current situation across the country, there's a lot of people having to break bad news about you know, relatives being diagnosed with COVID, for example, as well as all the other myriad things that we have to break to teenagers at times. So um, I guess if you've got something particularly, you know, you know it's going to be bad news, is there an, an ideal way to broach it as a parent with your child? What are the kind of first steps we should be taking? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, it's always going to be difficult for any of us to to break um, bad news or to receive bad news. And I, and I think for me, one of the, the things which I've learned about young people is that and children is that they um, they want they want us to be frank with them. They want us to be honest with them. They want us to kind of tell it how it is. Recently, I was listening to to a lad. He was um, um, I think he was about 12. He realized his. Um, well, he didn't know that his parents had uh, were splitting up um, and they kind of kept it from him to kind of look after him, to look after his feelings. And he and I had several sessions with him. This is quite a long time after the event, actually. And he was just feeling quite powerless, um, not knowing. And he was desperate to know what was going on what happened and they thought the parents were thinking oh we're doing this to look after him or to protect him but mm. actually he felt out of the loop he felt powerless and so he wanted to know so i think one of the first things is to if there is bad news that that that's let's say it let's let's be direct let's not try and um cushion it or hide it away but but uh, because i think young people are and, and I'm, I'm not into this kind of view that I think a lot of people say, oh, young people, children, young people, they're, they're really resilient. Um, I think, of course, young children, young people can be resilient. But uh, what they're very good at is, because they have to, is um, adapting. They adapt to situations that come their way because ultimately they have to. Um, they're survivors. Yeah, so just honesty is the best policy and sooner yeah. rather than later so i, I mean yeah. when you have 
when you know you have to impart bad news, I think sitting on it from a parent's point of view probably puts additional pressure on yourself thinking, well, I, I, I've had this opportunity to say something now and I've, I've missed that, so I'm going to have to wait for the next window. It is easier from what you're saying just to front up, be honest, because they will sense. They're, they're not daft. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think they will pick it up and then they, they may start... Um, uh, trying to work out or assuming what, what's going on with mum and dad or or mm. even, which often happens, I think, for children and young people, um, it, them taking responsibility. You know, ha, is it have, have I done something wrong? Is there something going on? Um, so I think absolutely they, I mean, we all, I think, are fairly good at picking up vibes in the, in the family situation. So absolutely, I think if we can be... Um, direct as we can and of course in at any age we often kind of um, say when will be the right time and of course there really isn't a right time because then there's something else that happens oh we'll, we'll tell them in a day or in a week or in a month and there's never a good time yeah uh, definitely. I think uh, Carol's just commented she's kind of had a couple of losses in a row, um, lost uh, her mum, grandmother, and it's just kind of everything, if you'd left it, would have snowballed even worse. So, yeah, very much so. It's almost um, like the problem gets bigger and you think, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with this massive weight or this of, of kind of bad news? Yeah. I mean, my boys or our boys told us uh, told me a story which I didn't know um, the other day that when they lost uh, one of their uh, grandparents um, they were at a friend's house at the time so uh, arrangements were quickly made to go and pick them up from this uh, from this house so when the mum picked them up she didn't say anything she just popped them in the car and started driving and they knew that something was up because it was completely out of usual it just wasn't normal for them to be picked up in that situation at that time and they're like well what's up and she wouldn't say anything she wanted to sort of get somewhere to then sort of tell them properly but they knew for that 10 minutes of driving that something dreadful had happened and that i think made it worse because they didn't know what the dreadful point was so i think just, deal with it. yeah there's this awkward there's just silence and everybody's kind of working out what is the unsaid what 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 is going to be said and that that is just unhelpful i think yeah yeah and so what about in terms of, I mean, a lot of the time if we're having to break bad news, particularly if we're talking about, you know, relatives, illness or, or bereavement, often that's not just bad news for them. It's bad news for us. And yeah. we're having to manage our emotions around the situation as well. And I know a lot of parents that we speak to talk about having, feeling like they have to be the strong one to help kind of carry their children through the situation in terms of, you know, not putting the emotional burden on them. But also showing them that it's okay to be emotional about it. Can you talk around that a little bit? Yeah, a, a lot of my work um, with my clients, with um, children, young people, and adults, is about developing what I call emotional fitness. Um, so, what emotional fitness means is to be able to express the right feeling at the right time in the right way to the right person. So, if we're in tune with our emotions, if we kind of know what we're feeling, and some of us don't, if we're not emotionally fit, then we can express that feeling. Um, this concept of um, being strong, um, I think it's, it's, it's one of those it's one of those things that's run through society for quite a long while, hasn't it? That uh, to be strong kind of means I shouldn't show any vulnerable feelings. I should be stoical. 
um, I should keep them to myself. Um, I, I think that is unhealthy, generally. Now, I think what you're saying, and I think absolutely right, that as a parent, um, I don't think we should be, you know, we don't want to be flooded with our emotions where, you know, you know it's almost like our children need to look after us. Although there is a time for that as well, but but um, but to be able to ex so if we were emotionally fit and able to express that right feeling, I don't I don't think that's a flooding. I think it's an oh I'm there's some sad news, um, and that sad news may mean that I express my sadness. That may mean that I that a sadness is expressed with tears, um, and that that is okay. Now, what I mean by flooding, if those tears are um, going on and on and on, that there's somewhere, and of course, there might we might need to do that. But when we're with our children and young people, I think it's absolutely healthy for them to see our sadness and to, and to see our tears. Um, but that actually, we also need to be there for their sadness and for their tears. Um, so that holding that balance is never easy but kind of locking up right I'm, I'm just going to be strong um and i'm and stoical i don't think that is healthy for the adult or for the child because i think modeling of um the full emotional expect uh, spectrum mm. from parents to children is really really important as it is modeling um sympathy or empathy or warmth hmm. yeah definitely we're getting some fab comments through as well thank you carol and um, i'm gonna jump in and, with a, oh, and obviously anyone else yeah if you've yeah, got any questions uh, james do. is here and he would love to uh, to help you out so please um yeah we, we've got some questions for him obviously um but if you've got something to to, uh, to ask them please uh, fire the comments away Indeed. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm sorry, you can't ask questions, but um, I'm, I'll read them aloud so you're not missing things because they're on a screen. So Emma says, is trying to keep things as normal as possible the best thing to do, ensuring there is a time for talking things through and emotions appearing? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's a, uh, that's a really good question, Emma. And I think that sense of keeping things normal. I mean, you know, we're in a pandemic. You know, um, we've never been in a pandemic. I've never been one in my life. It's it's absolutely crazy. And and for children, you know, who ultimately, I mean, whatever they're, however they're managing it is incredible. Um, so, and we're all, I think, trying to um, manage this the best that we can. Um, but none of us really know what that means. Um, so I think in terms of keeping things, I'm, I'm not sure whether normal, but keeping things kind of steady, um, being able to express, you know, how difficult we may be finding it, but also being able to draw on um, ways of managing this really difficult time as as parents is really important. Um, so I'm just looking at the second part, ensuring there's time for talking things through. And, and absolutely that. I, I often, if I'm working with families, um, I um, introduce them to a very basic kind of um, feeling grid, which has kind of got mad, sad, glad, and scared. So the four key emotions. And I will often say to the parents and, and children, if I'm there in the room, that, you know, 
have a check-in twice a day after the meal and just say things with the mad glad sad and scared you know when was it like what today when when did you feel kind of mad or upset or uh, mad or um irritated or frustrated when did you feel glad you know and so we're and when did you feel sad or disappointed or hurt when did you feel anxious or worried and for me that kind of little check-in emotional grid can be a really useful little tool for just saying look we're all going to be feeling different feelings um, throughout the day. Absolutely normal. Um, let's just share them. And to model that as a family um, is, I think, a really great way of learning and developing um, family, if you like, emotional fitness. Love that. We, we go down the positives of the day route, but I quite like the idea of expanding it to sort of explore other aspects of uh, yeah. what we've all been up to during the day there's always things that are going to be um yeah stressing you out making you happy making you mad so yeah yeah. Right. yeah i think for me look you know my i think my deal on feelings is um that um that there are there is no um positive or negative feeling they just are and i think that this this route often we go around with children as well that you know let's be happy let's stick to the positive is not a good route for emotional fitness for me to actually if we can express our say our sadness when we need to be sad it's a beautiful thing to allow sadness to flow it's a like we're talking about grieving it, it we need to do that otherwise it's going to go i say look if we don't express the right feeling it's going to morph into another feeling and it could morph often perhaps into anger externally or internally so those vulnerable feelings the feelings we don't like to show or maybe we've been told you we don't want to see those feelings that's really important for me to allow children young people and ourselves to be able to express uh, feel and express those feelings i mean the reason we went, we went down the um the positives of the day is we do have one who occasionally has been known to be captain negative so that is very much so we, we need to drive the positives rather than sort of um yeah. you know make sure he doesn't say anything about you know it all being negative so yeah yeah to, to experience angles yeah absolutely yeah. i mean and it has worked but i think if we can add more to it that's definitely a um a bonus great yeah definitely um Okay, so uh, we've got a question from Carol, which is slightly off topic, but still I think totally relevant and something we'd probably be interested in hearing about as well. So Carol's asked, how do you help a teen that has a fear of bringing this virus home to a sibling that's uh, oxygen and CPAP dependent? So we similarly have someone who's vulnerable in the house mm. and we were worried about our daughter being worried mm. about bringing the virus home from school. So. Yeah, and again, that is a really kind of big kind of feeling to carry, isn't it, for for a teen? And and it seems to me that in in a family um, like that, it's like I'm I'm sure the family if if, if that you know is it who's the, is it Carol? If Carol's willing to allow her teen to go to school, um, there's the right precautions have been made. Now, I suppose being able to help her teenager deal with that is again I think being able to provide an environment um, where the teenager is able to share 
their feelings, their real feelings, those feelings of anxiety, and to and to and to know that there is empathy, that that we we get you, we understand you, and I would say that um, empathy to me is one of the most important um, uh, emotions um, or skills, if you like to be able to foster in our families. And when I say empathy, classically, people talk about um, uh, being able to, it's like literally walking in another person's shoes. What does it mean to be in their world? And I often say in some of the workshops I lead, look, you know, if what we're doing when we're being empathic, we're saying, you matter. You know, I'm gonna be with you, only you, for this 15 seconds, even if it's just 15 seconds, it's magic. Um, and empathy really is kind of like magic. You know, I get that all the time in my, um, with my clients, you know, I'll, I'm generally actively listening. Um, I might not be doing anything, saying anything or giving advice. I'm actively listening. That might be reflecting back to them what I'm hearing. Is that correct? Make I want to make sure that I'm really getting you. Um, and clients will leave at the end of the session. Think, I'm not sure what you did. But that really helped. And what I did was empathy. Hmm. Yeah. And, so and listening and just the ability to yeah. to hear what they've got to say, which I think, yeah. uh, particularly from looking up from the parental point of view, is really important. So. Yeah, I think the temptation as a parent is always to want to jump in and try and fix it because yeah. you want to protect your child. You don't want them to be feeling sad or hurt or anything. Yeah. So you want to jump in and try and help them get past all these feelings. But you've got to rein that in and let them have their feelings first. I mean, sometimes I want to jump in and, and vocalize or almost finish their sentences for them, um, which I know is not helpful because you should just be listening to what they're trying to tell you rather than trying to almost put words into their mouth. So I know I am guilty of that. And I think we probably all are guilty. I can see myself doing that as well. And I, yeah, I, I often say in terms of resist the fix, because um, I think there is a sense of, you know, when we want to be helpful. I mean, I often talk about two types of empathy. Um, and I think as parents, we um, both of them are important. So the empathy that we've been talking about is called what I'd call emotional centered empathy. So we're just trying to be with them. It's often empathy. I'd, I'd say it's a feeling of uselessness. You know, actually, I'm just I'm not doing anything. I'm just being. And that so it's embracing uselessness. Now, the other side of it is uh, the other type of empathy is called action centered empathy. It's a kind of right. I'm I can do something. I and I'm, I can be active, um, which I think getting the two in right is really important. But I think as a parent, both uh, action and emotional centered empathy are both useful tools, if you like, or ways of being. Um, that we can draw on. Fab. So, I mean, I like the way Emma's put it here. She said it's like on Inside Out, the movie. There's a whole lot of feelings just clashing with each other. And and that is going to be the case, I think, with, with hmm. most bits of bad news. So, oh, well, no. so I was going to say, well, once you've broken bad news, with, um, I know teenagers obviously aren't all the same, so there's um, not an easy answer to this, but what, what are the things to look out for once you know you have imparted whatever the bad news is? What are the key things to look out for with your, your teen over the next day, week, month? Mm. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it is a really difficult thing, isn't it, in terms of um, knowing how the other is going to absorb, deal with that bad news. And in terms of, um, you know, look what we look out for, and I suppose part of that, I would say, is how much we know about our, our teenager to start with. Um, what, what do they do? Um, what would they typically do? What, 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 you know, are they a, a loner? Do they go and isolate themselves? Um, um, what's their, you know, classically their diet like? What's their socialization like in terms of, well, now more if, if it's online or whatever? So, um, you know, what, how much do they talk to us? How much do they want to be with us? Um, for me, if it, what we know of them in a kind of typical situation, and then if they're moving away or withdrawing um, from that, those kind of situations, doing something different to what they normally would, it might just be, oh, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to eat with you anymore, you know, or, or, or you know, that's a fairly massive one in in, in many ways. So, but for, for me, watching out at the top scale, um, what they do differently. The other part, I suppose, emotionally is, you know, are they available? Do they want to be available to talk? Now, again, you know, I've got two older teenage boys living with me. Um, you know, one's fairly um, uh, self-reliant, I would say, you know, quite quiet and to himself. The other's a lot more active and would like to talk. Um, so for me, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to gauge, okay, I've got to take both of these lads at where they're at at that moment and what I know about them. Um, but also I want to just drop in um, that, you know, I'm thinking of you or if you would like to talk, um, I'm here. They may not, they may never, but I just want to make myself available for that. Hmm. Fab. We, uh, somebody else recently, oh, I can't remember who now, I think it was one of our podcast guests, advocated if you know you've got to have a difficult conversation with your child, then sometimes a good way to think about it is to, to think about it like a driver and passenger. So you're sat next to each other in the car or you're out for a walk together. So you're side by side rather than being face to face because it takes away the pressure to moderate what your face is then saying when you're listening so the teenagers aren't worried about you know what what they're conveying and you're not worried about what you're conveying so much is that something that is that sounds reasonable to you as well yeah well i think again i think uh, yes that it's familiar to me i think this um i would call that non-direct kind of <laughs> contact you know classically you know pe people have said and i know i've taught myself in terms of you know if you want to talk to a to a to a boy particularly then yeah take them for a drive play a game you know football or whatever and just talk while you so it's not just sitting directly um however i suppose look you know i'm a therapist you know i work um in a what was a predominantly and still what well, was a until about three years ago an all boys school um it's co-ed now but um boys are absolutely capable of sitting in a room with me for 35 minutes in direct contact uh, with eye contact and so they're quite capable of doing it um but i so i, but I think yeah both and Whereas I know I'm rubbish at uh, the car conversations. I, I've only come a cropper once. I was uh, driving to the swimming pool with my daughter. She's in the front seat and um, 
probably about 30 seconds before we got to the swimming pool car park she uh, said oh, i understand how babies look like the mum but i don't understand how they look like the dad how does that work then dad and i kind of like, she flustered for about 10 seconds and then turned into the, oh look how busy it is we must rush into the swimming pool <laughs> so i am not in any way shape or form the person to really use an example here i am rubbish she's about nine at the time Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much an advocate of just yeah. straight to the point. I will have the conversation with her, yeah. and I will use the words as necessary. And it might make me want to die inside a little bit, but I'd rather she asked me than asked her friends. So yes. yeah. Right. <laughs> That's why you're the adult here. Accused <laughs> of that before. Okay. Um, so. So Pamela, yeah. That's a, a, yeah, I, I know that I do it, but it is an important thing to, um, should I just flash it on the screen quickly? So well, James... didn't you have to read it out as well? Oh, because do I? Yeah. Podcast. Uh, so it's hard <laughs> not to jump in, as I was talking about earlier on, but to uh, finish their sentences, um, the adults need to try as best as they possibly can not to jump in. So letting the child know that what is important is um, is being, it's been said. So Yeah, definitely. Mm, I really should put my glasses on so I can read properly. But you should, you're wearing your glasses. Well, you mean yeah, your other glasses? Anything, yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, so we've talked about things to watch out for. So you've delivered your bad news, and you're keeping an eye on your child and whether you know how well they seem to be coping and things. What are the steps that we should be then taking as parents if it's becoming really apparent? That they're not coping well with it what can we do because obviously there's there's cams that can help in schools but it's massively underfunded and there's a huge waiting list and finding the right therapist is obviously a challenge that parents then have to get past mm. what are the steps we should be taking it uh, well yeah, you know as you're talking i'm thinking you know this is a really difficult one isn't it because um look you know i'm a I'm a school counsellor and I, what I do know is that there are a lot of school counsellors um, but not of course not all schools have school counsellors so if I was often obviously say if there's a school counsellor then you're likely to get to be seen by the school counsellor quicker than CAMS absolutely you are and where I am based in Nottingham there's a long waiting list and CAMS tended now take people you know certainly in Nottingham it's often the young people with eating disorders and 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 things like that so um for me that would be the first port call but but equally um we would if I'm not there we would offer in Nottingham we're lucky enough to have a um other agencies in the in the area so we have a that specific area of, it's called base 51 specifically works with young people and they i think take young people quite quickly so there may be other agencies physical agencies um if not there is a very good agency online and they do do physical as well and they work in lots of different areas all over the country and it's called cooth um, I don't know if anybody's come across Kuth, K-O-O-T-H. Um, they will do online um, counselling. Um, and as far as I know, they've got a fairly good turnaround. So you, you're able to see a, um, a counsellor like uh, children, teenagers, it's anonymous. You can just do a, a chat online or you can organise a proper session. Um, but they are very good. And they've got a lot of, I think, local council contracts to deliver counseling services in, in, in areas. So absolutely go that way. Now, in terms of private practitioners, of course, um, it, it can be a bit of a minefield. Um, you know, um, 
And I would say if you were looking and wanting and able to um, uh, kind of buy in a service, if you like, from a private practitioner, um, of course, if you can uh, know of another professional who could make a referral or could recommend someone, if not, then uh, the, there are certain agencies. Look, I'm, I'm a member of the British, British Association of Council and Psychotherapists. Um, so I would be registered, I would be accredited, I would be on their website. Um, you know, so there's, there's something to check us out. And I think there are loads of websites with young people, um, counselors on with thousands of counselors on. So I often think going through a, um, like British Association Council Therapists, Psychotherapists, would is is somewhere of a safety net. But I always say that if you if you have a know a friend who's used a counsellor, then maybe get a recommendation. Amazing. Yeah. It's just I know there are a lot of parents that are worried about the, the cumulative effect, mm. if nothing else, of of the yeah. pandemic, the, the constant changes, the not really knowing what's going on with exams particularly. It's it is just being it's that snowball effect no abso absolutely i was just talking to some students um this morning and um online and um yeah i think just uh year 13 um just not knowing and that's kind of what the anxiety is what is you know okay i was gonna we were going to just set ourselves up to take the a level that a levels that was it now the we're not clear the schools aren't clear the government haven't and i understand the consultation had just finished on friday so we're, we're not clear of what the assessments entail um so and of course you know i'm a parent with a, a child in a year 13 and year 11 um so i'm quite anxious about it um and kind of getting ready to make appeals and all sorts of things um but it, for young young people and children, yeah, it's it's just like not knowing is um, is really really difficult. So um, there is no easy answer, and I think you're right in terms of accumulative the sense of that we've been in this lockdown really for nigh on a year, often a few, few ways out, um, but not but not knowing um, when it's going to finish, and even they could may, even even be thinking of their future if they're. Year 13, thinking, well, do I take a gap year? Do I go to university? So it goes on. So it's, it's, it's anxiety is definitely one of the key areas that I work with um, with young people, absolutely, and, and have done before COVID. Um, uh, so, yes. But I'm assuming that's on the increase with COVID. The anxiety issues that have been brought to you are ever-increasing. I think I think that yes, I would say that it's not just anxiety. I think for some young people I work with, not being in school is is really good for them. They actually like it. They're thriving in terms of you know. So it might be young people who have struggled in school. There might be some friendship issues. There might be bullying issues. Um, so for them, being at home is quite safe. Um, but I think in terms of some of the concerns that I have in terms of children and young people, um, that sense of uh, kind of losing socialization skills and, and the, the anxiety of uh, meeting people again. What do we do? Do we touch? Do we hug? When do we do that? You know, how do we socialize? Um, losing friendships, fr different friendships groups forming online. So there's all sorts of, I think, anxieties about not just 
academic work but in terms of friendships and what what will that mean and will some children and young people lose the, the skills or become lack confidence in terms of making friendships and having you know like almost like okay covid's over we can all go back you know for it, that could be quite frightening <laughs> i mean yes but that could be quite frightening for some some young people who have been basically locked up in their room for the past six to eight months yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, our daughter's in year seven, so she's had very little actual secondary school experience that hasn't been, and none, in fact, that hasn't been impacted by COVID. And yeah. so she doesn't even know what normal is going to be. She can't even imagine what it's going to be like when she gets back to that. So, exactly. it's, um, as you said earlier, it's the lack of control over the situation. Mm -hmm. That I know is what I find the most frustrating. Mm -hmm is that I can't, there's nothing more I can do other than stay in my house. And, no. you know, You do yeah. get a bit frustrated listening to various government announcements, knowing that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. It's all, you've got to sit there and take the, uh, the news as it comes. And that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? I think if nothing else, there's a sense of powerlessness and certainly there has been a sense of hopelessness when we're, we're just, you know, with the amount of deaths we had and we're not moving. Yes, we've got the vaccine, so there is some hope. But yeah, I think powerlessness is a really difficult one because most of us, of course, children and young people also, you know, we like to have some element of control in our lives and so, and. and some of us as adults we do still have that but on the biggest picture you know certainly for us who maybe want to socialize with friends or go out and do the things that we used to we don't uh, we have very little control about that hmm. so is it worth considering if you know that that's something that is affecting your child finding things that they can have control over at the moment because i know we have battles about things like whether her room is tidy and so on is is there an argument for the sake of sanity and mental health to say you know what, there are some things that normally we'd put our foot down about but mm. in this situation i need you to feel like you have control of some stuff yeah i i think that's a really interesting kind of thought isn't it and i and i, I, I look yeah you know, i i think i always i what i'm aware of when i work with children and young people i'm always aware of the power dynamic and i'm always aware that children and young people are generally powerless to what happens in their family you know so classically divorce or moving house or you know that they've got no say generally no say at all so for me how children and young people maintain some element of control now of course i work with with young people who there may be some family disruption something going on in the family it might be arguments with the parents how do they deal with that well they often deal with that may by creating rituals little rituals that they will do to make sure that they've got some control of some um, thing that they know they can do um, and no one can take off them and that is a form of just them having some sense of control um, so in terms of coming back to your question about the the room tidy i think um for me it is always a journey isn't it as parents of what battles to pick um and what to let go is it you know kind of is it worth it is it what what importance have we put on that particular um value or or behavior um and i know that as my uh, children have got bigger of course the the um 
the the the, value, the the expectations have shifted quite a lot you know in different what i expect of them in certain in certain ways um that could be about tidiness or their chores or um their language and stuff like that um and so so for me i think there's often a growth as a parent we're growing with our children and young people and and i think you know yes during covid is it is a tidy room an important thing for that particular child or is it more about for the parent for some children young people they might need feel they have order um and then naturally normally keep a tidy room and if we're finding oh hold on your room's not as tidy as it was um is it you know maybe that's would be an interesting point to say well why why, why is um why why have they let their tidiness go and i think that would be a really um important thing to kind of check out with them but for, for as a parent i know that my kind of rules and expectations definitely have flowed and have changed um you know for one example you know in terms of we could talk about screen usage you know it's, it's kind of, it's, we're all doing it now you know all the time that's all we've got and so and how do young not only um we we work and young people do all their education on screen but then we were we were having battles not so many moons ago um about leisure their leisure time with um with screens but now for me it's like well yeah go to your screens be with be with your friends you know if you're online with your friends that's the way i want you to do that because ultimately there's nothing else apart from them getting out of the house perhaps definitely walking the dog um once a day or and um maybe trying to do some exercise so do you know i mean it, we've got to flow with it flow with different things but if you're in an online lesson, turn your phone off. That could be a, a lesson, I, possibly. That would be an excellent yes. lesson, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great learning, isn't it? You know, that we should make sure we tell our children to always do that, and we don't do it. I'm sure I turned notifications <laughs> off before we did this. But it was a discussion I had in my own head, and nothing actually happened. So let's, let's wrap up. Can we press you? Just to put you on the spot here for your three top tips then for parents who know they have some bad news to break to their teenager. You can do. And I think I've, I've probably already covered my top tips. But I'll just go through them. So the first top tip, I think, is um, is creating an emotionally fit environment. So it's not just at the bad news. It's from outset. How, how are we going to be able to show and model uh, to our young people that, look, it's OK to express any emotion? And I would say, look, even anger. Anger to me is a really important emotion. It's often, a, you know, I, I you know, again, I'll say, look, there's there's healthy ways of expressing anger. There's unhealthy ways of expressing anger. But even unhealthy ways, let's listen to that anger. Let's not shut it down. I'm not a great, I, although I teach anger management classes, I'm not really into ang ang anger management. I'm more into anger awareness. I want to understand what that anger is about. I want to listen to that. So let's not get offended by anger. Let's listen to it. Because I think it's often a, a, a kind of, a, there's a problem here. There's something going on. So let's listen to that. So in terms of developing an emotionally fit environment, I think is number one. The second one is listen attentively and empathically. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Make sure that we have got our ears on. You know, often people say we've got two ears and one mouth. So 
So that's actually practice listening, not just listening to the words that are said. Let's listen to the words that are unsaid. Let's listen to their body language. Let's listen. What do we see? What do we notice? And that's kind of maybe even reflect back to them. The great thing about empathy is, look, you know, if we can pick up their feelings, this is part of emotional fitness. We might, they might be angry, for instance. We might actually think, I can hear your anger, but I can see your sadness. So that even to reflect back something that we see that they might not be aware of, that is empathic practice. Um, the third tip I'd say is to, in, in, in terms of embracing failure. Now, I think, you know, we in this generation, you know, um, in my, when I was a boy, um, generally parents, um, we were underparented, you know, today, we are, we over parent. We want to, they call them the helicopter parents, don't they? That we're always wanting to make sure our children are right, mustn't get hurt or anything like that. Now for me to allow children to face disappointment, to face sadness, to face failure, to, to know that making a mistake is okay. The only mistake you can make is not learning from your mistakes. So to embrace those kind of difficult things and to feed that into our culture as a family. So for me, being able to um, embrace and celebrate, you know, um, the sense of that we're not always gonna get it right, there are gonna be flaws. And just as I add on to that, I, I, I'm this is really important because I work with lots of young people who have bought into a kind of perfectionism. And the, the root under perfectionism is that um, if I'm not perfect, I won't be, or I feel I won't be accepted. I won't be loved. Um, so for me to be able, that failure one, and to say it's okay is really important. Love it. Fabulous. Thank you very, very yeah, much. Some fantastic advice there. I think my my big takeaway is just being completely open and honest with them and not letting it because you, you can, you can read the room with the family, you know, when there's something going on. And if you're not upfront about yeah. it, Don't then sit on it. yeah, they spend all their time guessing. So that that for yeah. me is a key takeaway as well anything you want to add no thank you very much much awesome. appreciated massive thank you for that very, I know, uh, very much appreciated.